Christmas is, Christmas is known as a season of love, a time of goodwill. We celebrate the gift of God's Son sent in love by the Father to tired earth. It's as basic and essential as John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Christmas is a season of love because it is a love story that is, uh, well, it eclipses every Hallmark Christmas special, doesn't it? The big God story is a love story that is anything but predictable. God's love is creative, dynamic, redemptive, and furious. St. Bonaventure described the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as a water wheel of love. Everything that exists flows from God. of God's love. God is love and everything is made in his image and we especially and uniquely so. We belong to him, we are already connected and dependent upon him, but sin clouds this truth. Shame makes us hide from God and each other. We live life sometimes as though we are separate distinct or even independent from God, perhaps even from each other. And it's an illusion, or perhaps we should say a delusion. Christ said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Being awakened to God is coming to the awareness that you are connected to the one who is the source of life and love. Scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. We just celebrated Christmas Eve the other night with lessons and carols with scripture and song, and because of limits on time, uh, we focused uh, entirely on the events of the nativity. But that's a bit like picking one chapter out of a larger story or one scene out of an epic narrative. We forget that it fits into the rest of a larger story or bigger story. Now Luke gives us the most comprehensive narrative of the birth of Jesus, and Matthew adds a few details that Luke doesn't include. Mark says absolutely nothing about the birth of Jesus, but John, in his gospel, John sets the story in a larger context. John hearkens all the way back to the beginning, before the fall, before creation, before heaven and earth. In his gospel, he, he echoes, the opening of his gospel echoes the opening of scripture, of Genesis. Bereshith, bara Elohim, eith hashemayim, ve'eith ha'aretz. I just like to say that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John, grabbing hold of that, that, that ancient passage of scripture, John, in his gospel, begins this way. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The ancient church symbolized John's gospel as an eagle because of the lofty heights to which it soars. John articulates in those opening passages, John articulates matters of profound importance that shaped Christology, the doctrines of Christ, what we believe, about the person and nature of Christ, who is Jesus. This morning, I'd like us to look at the beginning of John's first epistle, 
1 John chapter 1, the first four verses. Here too, John reaches back to the beginning, echoes those same soaring thoughts from, from Genesis as well as from the opening of his gospel, but then he connects them with the present, to his own experience of the Christ, and then to us, his readers, that we might share in that same experience. John makes the coming of Christ into the world very real and very personal, bringing God closer to us, drawing us into the divine community, which was God's intent from the beginning. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John gives us his, his very motivation, his heart's desire. He says, we, we write this to make our joy complete. Joy is made complete not only by reading John's lofty words, not only by hearing his personal testimony, or believing in God as he did, but especially enjoying fellowship with the Father and the Son and with one another. Now John used the word fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. It means to have something in common, to, to be shared, to, to be joined, to be in union with. God is love, and love by its very nature seeks union. God made us in love, he sent his son in love, not only that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God, not only that we would know a love that transcends knowledge, but that we would be filled, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we would be full of God. God has a furious longing to love us and for us to enjoy union with him. We are made for relationship, for fellowship, for union with God. Salvation is more than praying a prayer, professing faith, or being baptized, or believing certain things, or living in particular ways. Salvation is, say, is staying connected to the source of light and life and love. God is love, and love is seeks union. One of England's finest writers of the late 19th and early 20th century was G.K. Chesterton, had a huge influence on people like C.S. Lewis. Chesterton spoke of the furious love of God, the enormous vitality and strength of the God of Jesus seeking union with us. Think about this. Christ for me is comforting. Christ with me is assuring, but Christ in me is embarrassingly intimate. It's the language of lovers. How many of us really comprehend or relate to Paul's experience when he said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me? Love by its nature seeks union. 
We say that God doesn't change, but that's not true in an absolute sense. The incarnation is an example of God changing in an astounding, miraculous, and mysterious way. The Word became flesh. God became a child. God was held in the arms of his mother, nursed at her breast. He lived, learned, and grew, and then he taught, healed, and forgave. He experienced rejection, scorn, and hatred. He endured injustice and a wrongful death, a lynching, hung on a tree, Scripture says. He gave his life for this wounded and wounding world. The extent to which he was willing to endure, willing to suffer, so that we might enjoy fellowship with him is mind-blowing. What kind of love is this? God doesn't, God doesn't love us from afar. This is no long-distance relationship. He doesn't remain socially distanced, afraid that our impurity, our sickness, our sin will somehow infect him. He draws near. And he removes every barrier, every obstacle, and he urges us to do the same. Christ came to remove every dividing wall between us and God. Union was the goal of Christ, not merely deliverance, forgiveness, or a cleanup project. Union might be one of the most explosive words in our Christian vocabulary. If there's a message that is at the heart of the Christmas story, at the heart of the big God story, at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is this. God is for us. God is for us. His banner over us is love. I can relate to author Brendan Manning when he wrote this. He said, my critics, and there are, there are and have been many, protest that I write too much about love the love of God, and not enough about sin and judgment and hell and how to keep Christ in Christmas. Manning wrote, Jesus says, live in me, abide in me, make your home in me just as I do in you, John 14, John 15, 4. Home is a place of welcoming love, non-judgmental acceptance, accompanied by many signs of affection, his invitation to intimacy is startling, contrary to all of the pontifications of certain religious leaders and champions of morality. Their unbending rule-keeping petrifies his furious compassion. And then Manning concludes, the awesome love of our invisible God has become both visible and audible in Jesus Christ, the glory of the only Son filled with enduring love. Friends, that was John's experience as well. That's what he's trying to communicate to us in his gospel, but especially in that first epistle. John says, we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. He was here. We testify to it. We proclaim it. Why? So that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It is clear by the birth of Jesus that, God's, that God intends to be available to all, from lowly shepherds to Zoroastrian astrologers from Persia. Brendan Manning writes this. He said, Jesus' arms are outstretched from the manger to the cross. He excludes no one. 
and Brennan Manning knows what he's talking about. Neither the drunk in the doorway, the panhandler on the street, gays and lesbians in their isolation, the most selfish and ungrateful in their cocoons, the most unjust of employers, and the most overweening of snobs. The love of Christ embraces all without exception. In a song titled, The Love of God, Rich Mullins described the furious longing of God with these words. There's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own. And he keeps his fire burning to melt this heart of stone. Keeps me aching with a yearning. Keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. A reckless raging fury. The love of God. How can God possibly love this world so passionately? And why do we resist loving God, each other, the world, and sometimes ourselves as fiercely? All the things that divide us, from a pandemic to politics to pride to petty differences, Union with God, and by extension, union with each other, with all others, not only transcends every medical, political, social, cultural, and religious consideration, and not only infuses them with ultimate meaning, but defines the very purpose of life itself. Love by nature seeks union. Why do I have to keep reminding ourselves of this? This should be so basic, so essential. We should be known for our love. Love by nature seeks union. This is what Christmas is about. God and man becoming one. Christ wrapped in our rags that we might be robed in his righteousness. This is why Christmas is a season of love. Love that endures because its source is God. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty, all vulnerable God, incarnate in Jesus Christ, with the angels we sing and glorify your name, thankful for all that you have given us. And today, Lord, we are especially grateful for the gift of your Son, who gave up his heavenly home for a manger and a cross so that we might experience redemption, a gift that neither spoils nor fades. With the angels, we also, God, desire peace on earth, a peace that is broader and deeper than the end of war. We pray for the restoration of this world, for the growth of your kingdom, for reconciliation, healing, and renewal. We bring before you, God, our prayers for the nations of the world, for our nation and those in authority, Lord, for our community and those who govern it. And we pray for the church universal, its mission and ministry, and for this church and the churches of our community, that we would be a light, that we would be your presence, God, in this community. And on this particular day, God, we pray for the needs of those, God, who come to our hearts and minds, 
We especially pray this morning for Lynn Craven, for Susie Gustafson, and we pray for the family of Richard Bremer. Make your incarnate presence known in each situation, and may we as your servants be vessels of your peace. We pray this in the name of the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 